All right, what's going on, everyone? This is Brian Porter, and this is Tonecast number 68. And we're going to be talking with my buddy, uh, Steve Sterlachi, today and kind of continuing through the summer into the fall now with our kind of musician, gear industry, all sorts of types interviews. And we're going to be talking with him about a wide variety of uh, topics, including navigating this situation as a as a band member, as someone who got all their gigs canceled, and we're going to talk a little bit about gear and some other stuff as well. So I'm excited for that conversation. We'll get to that in just a minute. I do want to mention, as we've been teasing through the fall, uh, early fall here, about a new release that's coming up in October. We're really down to the last few weeks, and we're actually going to be recording a podcast specific to this release that may actually come out before. I'm not sure yet. We're trying to organize the next couple of weeks here of the business, but... New release coming, very exciting, as we keep teasing for those who have been following this show weekly. We've been talking about this for a while now, and, and it's actually been in development for quite some time, and it's, and it's nearing a somewhat predictable deadline, I guess you could say. So we're, we're getting close, really, really excited to, um, to uh, share with you what we've been working on. And we've got some new stuff as well on the guitar side of the shop. We're actually building a new body style, and I hope to be kind of definitely developing that over the next couple of weeks with some help. And we've got, uh, got a few of those that I really, um, really want to get out. And anytime you develop something new, it always, there's always a bunch of hiccups and, and all that. This is a little different than anything else we've done on our, our guitar side. So again, that's like, that's one of the many things that is in the works for Porter this fall. I do want to mention our pickup chooser here. Uh, you can go to our website, porterpickups.com. You can Fill that out. See that you'll look for the pickup chooser form. You'll see it everywhere on the header and on the main page of the, the homepage. Fill that out. We will send you a recommendation back. A um, couple questions on there about your styles of music and all sorts of things. Um, and we'll send one of us will email or call you back with um, something from our lineup that will match kind of what you're looking for. So it's sort of our recipe to a uh, better tone, if you will. So I think that's a that's a fun thing to fill out. Again, we always mention that it's no obligation. We're not going to pressure you. You have the option at that point to sign up for our newsletter, which is a good idea to know about what's coming up. But again, we're not going to you know, shove it down in your throat. We're just going to uh, say, hey, here's something you can do some more research on and check out. And oftentimes um, the matching process goes pretty well. So you could think of it as a dating service for your guitar and your next set of pickups. So let's jump into that interview I had with Steve, and I think you'll enjoy that, and here we go. All right, so welcome to the Tonecast. Again, as I mentioned in the intro, this is episode 68, and I'm here with Steve. Well, I'm not here with you, I guess, Steve, but on the phone with Steve Serlachi, guitarist uh, for Jessica Lynn Band and probably other projects and things like that, which we'll get into, but how are you today, Steve? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man, good to have you. I know... Uh, this has been, uh, we haven't connected up in, in quite a bit of time here. I think this, this pandemic has been, you know, six months or whatever. And it feels like every, every person I talk to you says, it feels like it's been five years. Yeah, since, definitely. You know, since we, since we've uh, kind of started this and kind of navigated this, but, but for those who have uh, been listening through the summer, what we've been doing, it has been kind of just sharing people's stories through this and how they're navigating it. Um, that's kind of obviously the big theme in the music industry right now is, with the NAM shows being canceled, with gig, gigs being canceled and all that stuff. And we've grabbed some different perspectives from, from different angles, and that's kind of what we're, we're going to jump into first. Um, I guess maybe take me back to the very first time, and we'll get into like the intro of who you are and what you do actually in, in just a second. We're going to kind of flip-flop a little bit here. But take me back to that time when, when you got the news, kind of everyone has a story of like, hey, this might be a bigger deal than we may have thought. Kind of take me back to that time. Okay, so the last show that we actually played was, at, it's at actually one of the few local shows that we play every year. So it was March, what, 13th, 11th? March 11th. So we had sold the place out. It's the place where we actually filmed Jessica's first television special. So we always go back there like once a year or once every other year. And, uh, you know, just go back to where it all started type of thing. So we had sold it out and we showed up that day to play the show and it was 60% no shows. So out of the hundred percent, 60% did not show up. 
Oh. And they were and they were expensive tickets. Like they weren't like call for refunds. They were just, hey, we don't feel safe about going. And it was at that point during the day too that you know I also coach uh, a baseball team at the local high school. So I coach a varsity baseball team, and I had gotten the text that day that the school had closed for the next day. So there would be no school. It was the third day of baseball tryouts. And um, they said the school is going to be closed for the next two weeks. And like I said, no one showed up to the show. 40%, you know, only showed up. And we were like, damn, like people are really that afraid of this. Like what the hell? Like, you know, at the time we're just like, I guess bitter at the time, like, wow, this sucks. Like people are really, you know, people are really that afraid. And then like little did we know, you know, a couple of weeks later we lost a 12 country 90 date European tour over three months. And uh, we're also going to be in the U S for two months. So we lost everything in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's like this, this sort of the news breaks and, and I talked to some other bands were kind of similar situations where they were on the road and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I think we probably shouldn't finish this leg of the tour. And you know, similar stories where the bands are like, well, why not? You know, and sort of as everyone, finds out about about everything it kind of gets crazy so kind of take me back to to your first sort of reaction obviously disappointment and confusion but then it sort every once everything kind of got more real what was your your sort of uh mindset at that point well i'm like i'm a i'm i guess a go-getter type of person where i'm just like nothing gets in my way like i that's just always my mentality like no excuses go and move forward so for the longest time. And we were trying to hold on to the European tour as much as we could. We were supposed to leave in mid May and, you know, we tried and tried. And then, you know, as dates started falling through, it started getting really screwy with us because we're totally independent. So Jess does all the bookings herself. And as time is going on, it's like one gig drops and we're like, Oh crap. Now we got a hole in the schedule. So we have to fill it because having no funding, the gigs are what's what keeps us out there. Right. So we would lose one big anchor date and it would like, it would crush two weeks of the tour. So we're stressed. We're like, Oh crap. Now this one's out. Now that one's out. And little by little, it just started going away. And then there's also clauses in some of the contracts where if we're the ones to cancel, then we might have to pay, you know, up front if it's like a deposit situation, whatever it may be. And we lose deposit money, like all everything basically pointed to this sucks. So as little by little, they started falling apart. We were getting more and more worried about how we're going to make it through the shows that still are on. And then eventually Germany just totally closed up. They like banned everything. So that pretty much solidified the fate of the tour and everybody was, you know, in an understanding, but luckily most of, if not more than, you know, this year's tour got pushed to 2021, all the same festivals and clubs are having us back. So Nice, nice. So it's kind That's of a, a fortunate thing. Yeah, everyone's kind of. It felt like everyone started buying time for a little while, and then we realized like the time we couldn't buy any more time in terms of you know. Yeah, okay, that's, that that was us. We were we were buying time, buying time, buying time, and I'm just like, ah, this will be fine by April. Who cares? You know, by April first, everything will be back to normal. It's like, ah, no, you know, by May first, everything will be back to normal, <laughs> and by June first, everything will be back to normal. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it just never happened. Here we are almost in October now. So, so, yep. talk, so maybe um, let's go jump back to the standard intro, kind of let people know who you are and what you do. And then we'll get into a couple other questions related to that uh, stuff we talked about at the beginning. Sure. Do you want me just to go or do you want to ask me? Uh, <laughs> I want you to just go. Okay. Um, I hate talking about myself, but uh <laughs> Like I said, my name is Steve Stolacci. I'm a New York-based guitarist. I also have been, I don't want to call myself a YouTuber at this point, but I have a YouTube channel that's been, you know, somewhat steadily growing and taking up a lot of my time. But um, mostly, that's it. I coach a baseball team and I play guitar. That's my life. Nice, nice. <laughs> and and guitar has been kind of a the, your main gig for how long as, in terms of just your income and stuff like that? Um, I've been a full-time guitar player since, I guess, 2015. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I can't remember what, what NAMM show was that that we first met. It's probably been a long time ago now, probably. Oh, uh, yeah, when I ran into you randomly with Lance from Gear Talk. Mm -hmm. Was that at Na the, was that Nashville, NAMM, or was that Winter? 
think I want to say it was winter, but um, I, I honestly can't remember at this point. So that but was I, probably that was probably 2015. Yeah, so right about kind of when you took the jump, right? I think somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so as you guys, um, so you're in a band with your wife, right? And and this is a kind of a joint effort, right? You guys have been playing. How long have you guys been a band? So the Jessica Lynn Project or band, whatever you want to call it. It's so funny. Everyone calls us Jessica Lynn Band. It's actually just Jessica Lynn, and we're just the supporting band, technically. <laughs> like, right? If you if you look if you compare it to like you know Taylor Swift's band, like they're all just hired guns. Like they're not, you know, an established band name. But we've been the same crew since probably 2012, right? When they started, two of the, two of the guys are still original members. I actually was not an original member. I was a guitar tech from the original crew. And um, as band members came and went, it now turned out to be Jessica's father plays bass and mom sings backup vocals. And I am her now lead guitar player. So I think I took over in 2014 is when I came into that role. Okay. Yeah. So then that development of like starting the band and then trying to get into that. Okay. Now we're going to do this like beyond, beyond just the hobby or beyond just like, talk to me about that transition of like, Okay, this is now we're going for it full time kind of deal. You mentioned you're independent as well, which is which, which is kind of cool. You guys are, you know, some advantages and disadvantages, right? Of trying to oh, yeah, trying to make absolutely. it all happen, but um, no one's telling you what to do at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really it really all comes down to my wife, and um, there was just never any other options. So there was never any decision to say, "Hey, we're going for this full time." It's just what it always was for her. You know, there was never a doubt or a second thought about it. It was just, Hey, I'm making this happen and you're either coming along or you're not. <laughs> yeah. And you know, along, along the road, there were people that were not, and there were people that were coming. So. Cool. Yeah. So they, she's just always had that, that work ethic that was like, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to ask people how to do it. I'm just going to go and do it. Like there's no, I always tell her she's got to write a book or start a YouTube channel of her own where she talks about her strategy and stuff because she built everything on her own, really. You know, her and her dad co-managed the career, but Jess is on the ground every day, you know, sending emails, scheduling, booking, doing... She's in the office for like 16 hours a day. I have to hose her down to bathe and uh, pull her out of the uh, the wheelchair. Like when her uh, (laughs) computer chair, I got to pull her out. Yeah, yeah, that's but crazy. So just like she's kinda, just a crazy, crazy work ethic, and just constantly, constantly pushing and moving forward. That's awesome. So it's it's definitely been like a kind of a cool progression. Obviously, you mentioned having like these tours set up and and kind of just working and working and working and feeling feeling like all right, we're gonna get somewhere with some consistency of dates and new places to play, and then then all of a sudden all this <laughs> all this stuff hits and. So kind of what have, what have you guys been doing uh, creatively, I guess, as your, like, your main income has kind of been uh, slapped around, if you will? Like what, what have you kind of done since um, you know, maybe in that May to June territory when it got more real that, hey, this was going to be a long-term sort of shutdown for, for gigs and stuff like that? So once we were stuck and you know, knew we were staying home and you know, th- that was really it for us, first of all, we adopted a rescue dog. That was the uh, the first thing. We we're actually going to foster her until we left for our tour. Back when this first happened, we were like, "Oh, it's March. We can foster a dog, and then, you know, when we have to leave for our tour, we won't feel as bad giving her up." So the second day with this dog, we knew that she was staying with us forever. She's actually handicapped. Also, she has she was found in Texas with her back feet severed. To make a long story short, wow. um, so she's got just little stumps as back feet. And we love her to death. So that was our first, <laughs> our first move was to adopt this dog. And then um, on top of that being a full-time job, we had to just invest and figure out how to make more and good and better content from home. So Jess has been doing at least twice a week live streaming. And I've been cranking out YouTube videos and trying my best to, to get that going. And I've had, you know, some decent success for someone that's only been doing it for about a year, but I learned how to shoot video. I learned how to be a photographer, a videographer. I learned how to do lighting. 
And I pretty much studied all aspects of what goes into like filmmaking or videography. And that was my project for the summer. And then I just get to use it for Jess when she's doing her stuff. So now her stuff looks more pro. So that was more the vessel I took was a total different angle than anything that I was doing, which was, Hey, let's get really good at a new skill that I can use and Jess can use. Yeah. So just kind of adapting and saying, well, this is, this is the hand that we've been dealt. Right. And, and, and not, not making excuses or, or, uh, being super bummed, which I'm sure you were bummed. Like there's no way you couldn't oh, be right with all that stuff that was going. And I mean, how many times in life it's like, we think it's going to go one way. And then this sort of, uh, you know, we all have this in common because this has affected every single one of our livelihoods and, and way of life. And, you know, you can't just walk down to a restaurant and it's the same situation as it was before, you know, just want to get a yeah. burger. I just want to do this, you know, and it's different now. And, um, so, yep. so that was kind of, uh, you mentioned kind of, you're a go-getter, but I think one thing I've noticed about, uh, about you and it's just that like, you kind of been, you've always kind of really had a positive attitude. Maybe, maybe under the surface, you're kind of pissed about, <laughs> about the realities, but you've, you've always charged in and done new stuff. And I think that's kind of, you know, sounds like it's been a theme with you and Jess of, of trying to, you know, Hey, let's figure this out. And you, you sort of already had training for this in a way, if you think about it, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just being, like I said, being an independent before it's like, we've only ever known the road that we're making, you know, there's been nothing laid out in front of us since we started doing this. So we're used to, you know, flying by the seat of our pants and figuring out, adapting, adjusting, constantly evolving and, you know, changing as we go, keeping what works, swapping out what doesn't work, find something that works better and a lot of trial and error. And it's just always been what we did. So yeah, it's just changed directions, but same mentality, just in a new space. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as we sit right now, um, what do you think is the, uh, the outlook for, for playing gigs and, and that kind of thing? I know some people have done some kind of outdoor concerts, some drive, I've seen people do like drive-in theaters and stuff like that. Um, where are you guys at in terms of trying to, to figure out how to, uh, get in front of people again? Well, New York is a total crapshoot right now. Like right. we're, I mean, we're not allowed to do anything. That's a conversation for another day, but <laughs> we're, we're pretty much screwed in New York, but um, we've had a couple opportunities for some like private party things and just live streaming. You know, we're doing a live stream in a week or two, you know, Daryl's house, the TV show live from Daryl's house. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that venue is actually right near us within a half hour. And we've played there. We play. We usually do their Halloween party. Like they do a big Halloween party, and we've played it the last four or five years. So that's obviously canceled this year. But they've been doing full band live streaming from the venue where they film the show. So we'll have the whole band together to get uh, for that. But other than that, man, it's <laughs> we got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a. It's it's kind of an ever evolving situation. But I think we all we all feel like it's you know, maybe there's going to be somewhat of an end and then it kind of goes through the waves and all that stuff. And, um, so, so I've seen kind of not, not totally switching gears, but I've seen you kind of posting some new gear. You got, looks like you got a new Sir guitar and some other stuff. And that's probably been nice to, to have, have your guitars to, <laughs> to hold at night, right. Through yes. this whole thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. When in doubt, you could always work, uh, rely on new guitars. Yes. Yeah. But, but seriously, I mean, I think that's part of the music thing is like, you know, we've, we've had a good last couple of months. Cause I think people are just like, some people are fed up enough to where they're like, I'm going to learn an instrument or I'm going to finally fix that guitar that's been in my closet forever. And that never really gets old, right. The discovery of new gear and and kind of chasing that, those tones. Um, so maybe talk about that. Uh, I've seen you post a couple of pictures of that Sir guitar that you got. Talk about that guitar a little bit. Yeah. So, um, before the world ended, we were able to have Nam in the beginning of the year. So at this year's Nam show, I was introduced to John Sir and the rest of the family because they're also a family operation. And I mean, most of my YouTube channel is all using the, the line six helix. And of all people, I did not expect this, but 
John Sir himself was like, oh yeah, you know, you got a helix, right? You're the, yeah. Can you help me with mine? And we just, <laughs> we just hit it off really well about helix of all things. And I mean, you know what it's like at NAMM to have a two hour conversation with somebody is like pretty tough to do on the showroom floor. Oh man. Yeah. But he, uh, I was trying to get away and be like, okay, you know, have a great day. You know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And he just, he kept wanting to hang and talk. So obviously I'm not going to say no, but um, yeah, we just hit it off really well. And then we, you know, we're talking online for a while after that. And they sent me out a reactive load to do a demo of, and that wound up turning into a fully custom spec guitar that I had free reign on. So Nice. It's a, uh, it's unbelievable though. It's a, it's a flame top. A flame. It's. I wanted to make a, a Les Paul, a Telly, and a Strat all in one body. And <laughs> you're one of those guys, right? <laughs> well, because you know my other guitars, I have my iconic guitars that he uses your pickups in mm-hmm. a bunch of them. Yeah, totally. But um, I have two of those that are vintage style Tellys. You know, very much. One's like a '50s, and one's more like a Keith Richards style one. So. Tellys are my favorite to play. Les Pauls are my favorite to play. So I wanted to try to make my own thing. I've always loved strats, which I also have your custom strat set in my uh, in my part strat. But I always hated playing them. So I wanted to get the strat sound with the pickup combination. So three single coil, telly bridge, middle, and strat neck pickup. And I just wanted to combine this all into one. So it's a mahogany body with a flame top. And it's a roasted maple neck. Nice. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's got a, does it have a, like a five way, just a regular five way? No. On it? So it's a, uh, it's a unique wiring combination. Um, I'm a huge Brent Mason fan as any country guitar player should be, but he always talks about his telly configuration where he's got a telly bridge, a strap middle and a mini humbucker in the neck, but he only, has a three-way switch and the middle pickup is wired directly to its own volume pot. Oh, so okay. it's a three, it's a three knob telly, but that middle knob only it's basically a blender knob for the middle pickup. Nice. So, so I had that just put roll that in, in whenever you feel like you need to add that. Right. Yeah. It, it actually, I mean, I always heard him talk about it and how much he uses it and what he uses it for. And, the more I play with it, man, it's like, wow, like that actually does make a really big difference. Cause you know, when you have a strat, you can't turn off the cluck. You know, when you're in like, when you're in the second position on a strat, it's sweet home Alabama, no matter what. Right. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> like you can't undo that sound. So being able to just take that volume and bring it down a little bit, it adds like a nice subtleness and a little, little sweetness to the telly bridge pickup and, it's been cool. It's been really, really interesting. You should do a set. Yeah. So I just like, I mean, I'm used to the traditional like strap blender setup where you're, we're adding in the neck to any position. That's kind of my, my, you know, I'm most familiar with that. I've seen a few people doing that. I just haven't had a lot of, a lot of direct experience, but I can see how, you know, a lot of times what I like when blending pickups is like, like you're saying, you're, you're adding just some of the subtle, subtle tones of that position into something else and that's really cool so it that that allows you kind of just to to bring some volume in right so if you feel like yeah i'm going to add just a little bit of that that middle in so you get that you get that so you have the the kind of the three-way or excuse me you have the middle position that you can just slightly tweak right so you do you feel like it's like a uh, i'm trying to figure out how to say it here but like do you feel like it's a pretty good EQ range that maybe you haven't really experienced before? Definitely. That's cool. exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying and to like... something that you could... When it's cool, you, if with the telly, you could put it in the middle position and turn the volume knob all the way up and actually have all three pickups engaged. Nice, nice. Which is not a common thing at all, but that's <laughs> a definitely a unique sound. Yeah. Do you know on the output of those pickups, is are they pretty similar across the board or do you have like a really hot bridge or kind of how is it... Do you know how it's set up? Um, they're pretty consistent. It's the their Michael Landau signature in the neck and middle, the strap pickups, and the telly is I think just a classic T. So I guess that's probably low output, but okay. they're about they're all about even height wise and volume wise. Nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I know some people have done sort of a blend of 
you know, maybe a super hot bridge pickup. And then if you're kind of combining that with other stuff, then sometimes you have to mess with the pickup heights too, which is a whole nother ball game. <laughs> when you're trying I would have to- voted for a higher output middle pickup just so I could get it the hell out of the way. That's why I can't play strats because my pick for some reason, cause I've always played tellies and less balls. My pick just goes right where the middle pickup is. Oh yeah. Yeah. So sense. it's a little bit different with the, with the telly body. Like it hasn't gotten in my way as much as it does on a real strat. But every time I play a real strat, it drives me absolutely nuts because I just, <laughs> I keep hitting it. Yeah. And you wouldn't think it makes that big of a difference hitting it, but it's just enough to be really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's like right, right in the way. And sometimes you're, you're hitting the edge of the cover. You're hitting the pull piece, right? If it's sticking up yep. there and yeah, I've, I know a few people that like, they just can't do it. And I'm, I kind of grew up a strat player. So I think I, I think I just dealt with it from the beginning cause I didn't know any better. And I think that's kind of like, it's not a problem for me, but it's, I could see, I could see how it's, I mean, it's literally right in the middle of where you're picking uh, this, the position of it. It's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So talk to me about the, uh, you mentioned kind of some, some line six stuff. I know that you've been doing a lot of YouTube videos and, and you've been playing a Helix mostly live, correct? For the last uh, several years. Yeah. The Helix has been my number one tool for stage studio, YouTube videos, everything for the last three years, I think I've had it. Okay, nice. Did you have, uh, did you kind of come from a uh, straight up mic cab sort of rig before that? Yep. Okay. So talk to yeah, me. Yeah, I was, I was definitely the, uh, the pedal board and tube amp snob. <laughs> Which you still are, right? It's still, you still have that stuff, but you just don't it's use in the, it. It's in the brain. It's up there, but yeah, it's like the, the better I get at the digital stuff, the less I like the old stuff, to be honest. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that transition then. So going from, you probably got some gigs coming up and you, you've been using the tube amp and micing it forever. And talk to me about how, how you implemented switching your, your rig to digital. So the first experience I had with anything digital came when Jess, uh, where do I start with this? The first time we were ever in Europe. Okay. I'll start there. We played a one-off festival in France. It was literally one show. The four of us flew out and we hired a band there, played a festival. And at that festival were a ton of different buyers for other festivals, which is totally not how it works here in the US. Like the festival people actually like are real people. They're not corporations and they're not, you know, big businesses. It's like, oh, you're you have Brian Porter does this festival. And like you go to other festivals and you're like, okay, I'm going to look for talent for next year, which is very common sense and seems like makes more sense than not. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to deal with the the demo tape, right. Or whatever. Yeah. Like they they go firsthand. So we had seen a lot of buyers and a lot of, you know, this producer happened to be there also. That's where all of our European touring came from was that one festival snowballed into, you know, a 12 country tour two years later. So that was a big festival. But at that festival, there was a producer there that really liked Jess and wanted to write and record with her. So Jess and I flew out to Belgium, of all places, to record country music. But um, she recorded a three-song EP at the Globe Studios in Belgium, like really like top-of-the-line place. So while we were there, one of the guys that they were writing with and the session player I didn't play on this EP. This was a like a like the most legit session player in Europe. Like this is like the Tim Pierce of Europe. So I was like, I was just stoked to be there. I was like, I'm really want to, you know, be here for the experience, see what it's like. And I couldn't wait for the rig to show up. You know, like you see like the Steve Lukather, like Starlix rig, and you're like, oh man, that's probably what this guy's gonna bring. He's gonna bring like racks and amps and you know a huge pedal board and to to my disappointment he showed up with one briefcase put it on the floor and it was just an effects and a floorboard no pedals no amp and i was like what i was like what what is this i was like what, I was like, what, what are you doing and he's like honestly he's like i use this for 99 percent of what i do now he's like i have all the old stuff he's like but it's just not worth it anymore he's like the stuff sounds so good that 
it doesn't mean anything to me to have the other stuff. So that was like my, I guess, light bulb moment that maybe I should give this a chance. And um, from there, I came home and now we're prepping for an actual European tour after this EP comes out. So I'm thinking I need to tour Europe. Do I want to try doing this with a pedal board and backline amps? So that's always a problem, when, which I found out now after doing this for a couple of years. This was my first European tour. I'm glad that I wound up with the Helix because you're speaking a different language than the club owners or whoever's handling the back line. And they're like, yes, we have Fender amp. And then you show up and it's like a Fender frontman, 15 watt solid state toy amp. And you're like, I'm, you're supposed to plug your pedal board into this and play a gig. So I wanted to avoid that at all costs. And I started researching and I chose the Helix after you know, doing my research, uh, really trusted friend here, Ron Zabraki, who's a, a mentor of mine, turned me onto it. And, uh, like, this is the one that you're going to want. And the rest is history, I guess. So that was it. It was just about European touring. And then once I dialed it in, went on the tour, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to get back to my, my real amp, my real pedals. I got home to it and I was like, man, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So just a like a the massive uh, shift in, in a huge part of your rig. But you mentioned the, I had to laugh a little bit because you mentioned the whole backline thing, right? That's just always the nightmare of every musician. And you understand why these guys have these crazy riders and all this stuff because it's like... <laughs> Absolutely. You show up and you got like a, you know, a solid state crate amp waiting for you back there. Right? That's, I'm not joking, man. Some, I'm, I'm not joking at all. Or you show up and it's like a Marshall JCM 800 with a 412 cabinet. And you're like, this is not going to work for, yeah, for the country. For Jess's music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so one thing, I mean, it just allowed you more flexibility in that you, you know, not only the consistency of the sound, but then the flexibility to, to say, Hey, I'm just going to fly with this thing. And I'm, I'm pretty good as far as, as far as that goes, right? Yeah, no cables go bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's. I mean, what's what's the, everybody's nightmare as a guitar player showing up to a festival with ten, fifteen thousand people, and you know, you you turn your stuff on, you have no signal, and you don't know where where it's coming from, why it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, are you running? Kind of talk to me about like obviously your signal is is all tied up into the helix, but um, kind of when you're when you're going on stage, you're running that straight to the house. And then are you guys using in-ears slash wedges? Kind of what, what is kind of your typical setup then with that? Well, when we're in Europe, we can't use our in-ears because they operate on different frequencies. We'd have to rent a unit over there and we just haven't, haven't sought that out. Again, we're totally independent. So we'd have to literally find everything on our own from scratch. So when we're in Europe, it's kind of a crapshoot and we just, we just go with whatever's there. Sometimes I just, I play with just a floor wedge. Sometimes they'll have, if they have usually like a fender, like a decent fender amp, I can go into like the effects return or the power amp in whatever it has on it. And that gives me a pretty decent sound. I just learned to not be super picky about my sound on stage and trust that out front they're getting, you know, the full signal that I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, then, so that was just, it's just an adjustment that I made because I don't, I just never, I mean, I probably have been this guy a couple of times where you're at sound check and your sound's not right. And you're just sitting there making the biggest deal over it. I just stopped wanting to, to do that. And, you know, when time you got to get in and out on festival dates, it's just like, screw it, plug in and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta live with whatever happens, but, but I think that it sounds like that eliminates some of the typical things. You know, you mentioned the cable stuff, but just this, just the reliability. You're not having to take extra, it, yeah, extra it tubes on tour. Everything. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what your sound is going to the front of house. You don't have to trust like the uh, the intern kid that's the new kid on the festival that's never mic'd a guitar cabinet before, and he's placing your microphone, and you're like looking at him like this is in the wrong place. Like <laughs> all of that stuff the stresses of that go away. And I don't miss that at all. Like at all. Yeah. I've thought about thinking about taking my pedal board on some tours and I'm just like, why <laughs> just, there's nothing better than just dropping on the floor. You pl I'm, I go mono. I don't even go stereo. You just plug an XLR cable into the back of my helix. And I'm just like, 
I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. So what would <laughs> and you, it becomes showtime. Yeah. What would you say to someone who has been uh, hesitant to get into that world or maybe um, I, I don't want to say snobby. I said hesitant as a more tame version, but you know, maybe the, maybe the tube amp snob, like, uh, like you were at one point, um, what would you say to that person who, who has been sniffing around on, on some of the digital stuff? Grow up. Ooh, nice. <laughs> no, Straight to the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's tough because doing this, you know, making videos about it and stuff, like you just come across so many people that are just never going to like it. And it's not for everybody. For me, it, I care more about simplicity, consistency, sounding good to the audience. Other people say that they can't play without a speaker moving air behind them, which I think I, if it's if it, if that's your thing, then that's your thing. But I mean, it's not for everybody, but I would I would like people to give it a chance that think that they can't because some of them might be able to get converted. But yeah. I'm not looking back. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And that's I mean, I've, I've kind of like crossed the line several times. I've got, you know, we've got a bunch of tube amps here and. Um, I've got the Fractal AX8 that I've been playing uh, quite a bit. Same same deal with in, in terms of portability and just reliability and and just something simple, honestly, just to plug into and go um, and not dealing with you know not dealing with the pedal boards as much as you used to. And um, you remember the craze of like everyone wanted to build their own patch cables for their pedal boards, right? Yeah. So yep. So I went through that craze, and then I think I have zero of those cables that i built myself that i I could tell you honestly i literally (laughs) just went through the same exact thing (laughs) the the last one the last one finally died and you're like why did i even do this i could have bought like a four dollar patch cable and just been okay that's never gonna go bad (laughs) because it's soldered yeah yeah i just i I don't know it's it's funny because as we've you know we've gone through these different trends now and in the last even just like 10 years in the gear industry you know we you know, I I think of like I remember when like a Hel- the Helix came out. I I was thinking like the Line Six Pod in my head, and I'm like, it's yeah. not it's not going to be good because I remember the Pod and I remember the the you know the terrible flanger or whatever that was on that on that thing. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. And then I was like, wow, this actually has a place. And and it was kind of I was a little bit more probably in the hesitant crowd at, at the beginning because it's like, well, this is this is not how it should be. This is not the way it's been forever. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool to see, see the progression going. Cause I mean, you can, one thing I like about it is, is I can have the tremolo effect or I can have the, the phaser or I can have these other things where I don't have to spend a couple hundred bucks on each of those boxes. And that's the best part is that every few months with the updates, they add stuff like the unit's not done. Like you don't just buy it and have it and that's it. Like every couple of months, like we get, new amps, new pedals, and new features. And I, it's just, I think you'd just be crazy to not at least consider it, you know, for 1500 bucks, you're getting every amp that every amp sound, at least if you want to even give it a bad rating and say it's 85% the way, you know, I think it's very much close to a hundred when you compare, you know, a mic signal in a professional studio to what you're getting with this. But even if it's 85% of the way there, you have how many hundreds of thousands of dollars of amplifiers and effects that you could just try. And yeah. if you get bored, if you get bored with the sound, you know, as guitar players, we change our mood and we change our vibe and, oh, I want to try a plexi today. Guess what? You could just turn a knob and try a plexi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got pretty expensive there. I know there was like that um, kind of in the late, uh, you know, around 2009, 2010, there was like pedal craze, right? Everyone was like, oh, I got to get this pedal and this pedal. And, and then it was like, how many drive pedals do you really need? And, and the boutique amps, man, holy crap. Oh, yeah, that's true. so expensive now. Yeah, that's true. And there's, I mean, there's some amazing stuff. There's plenty of, you know, really nice amps on my, my gas list, I guess you could say, but it's almost oh, like... same here. You know, it's but like... But you think about what you get for 3,500 bucks, man, it's like... Do I want to pay thirty five hundred bucks for one sound now? Yeah, right, right. Or a pedal platform, you know? Yeah, that's true. Because like, then you got to buy the pedals, and you're like, I mean, how much? You, how much gear have you you bought and sold over over all these years of being a guitarist? Right? You're like, man, I I tried this because it was 
I just had this weird idea in my head and then I bought this really nice guitar and, and then it didn't really do it for me. And I was, yep. And <laughs> I will tell you the Helix cured that for me. Cause as, I mean, I, I sound like a cheap car salesman with the Helix now, but <laughs> <laughs> honestly, like I don't buy, I don't buy stuff anymore. Like that's been probably the best part is that I've sold all of my combo amps, my bigger heads and, I haven't missed them. You know, I have two tube amps to my name at this point. Um, I sometimes like to futz around with my pedal board and there's still something to be said about tweaking drive pedals. I think that that's the only fault I'll give the Helix is that the knobs don't turn the same way that, you know, a drive pedal knob. Sure, sure. It's a little too fine, which can be a great thing. But when you're changing things fast, like if you're in the studio and you just want to, I want to add more gain. I don't want to have to twist the knob six times over to bring it up, you know, whereas if it were a real pot, you could just turn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about unless you have one, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like, it's like too accurate in a way. I guess is probably yeah. one way to describe like, it. Like, I don't want to dial my gain to 5.3. Right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not concerned with decimals when I'm driving, you know, dealing with a gain pedal. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so kind of, uh, you know, similar to like this whole digital thing and, and, and looking forward in the, in the gear industry, you've been, you've been in it as a artist and as, as a consumer. And also you've worked with, uh, other brands as, as kind of like a, you know, having the artist relationship kind of where do you see things going right now for the artist community? Because you look at, you know, these people getting endorsements right now and it, it's, it's a lot of like people that are popular on YouTube or Instagram or something like that. And it's, it, you know, there's no gigs to have your products being showcased on stage right now. So where do you, I mean that you said it, man, you, you literally said it. That's where it is. That's why I started doing more YouTube content because that's just, it just seems like that's the direction of the guitar heroes, you know, like you look at a guy like Mateus Asato, like he's the modern day guitar hero, the modern day Steve Lukather, like he's, he's that guy, but, and then you look at, okay, well, he had a couple of really huge gigs, but nothing major that you've like been wowed about, you know what I mean? But he's the Instagram famous guitar player and that's the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah interesting because that that used to be you know coming from the gear company perspective it's like man if i could just get this guy to play my guitar on this stage that's the ticket you know and and that's how we're gonna make it and that's how people are gonna know about us and and that sort of like that strategy was basically just cut off overnight and everyone's kind of left like looking for looking for another way through if if that's one of the big points of how you want to you know spread the word and stuff um, well, you, my my plan is to be hybrid. Oh, with that, sorry to cut you off. Oh, you're good. Keep going for the for the future. I plan on you know establishing my YouTube better. I mean, I'm not like I'm not at all successful yet on YouTube, but it's still growing. You know, for the first time in my life, I've had people come to shows to see me, which was like the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced because I I was like, are you serious? <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I've seen your, I have a Helix, I watch your videos. Yeah, I'm like, really? And this was like in Italy, like this guy spoke broken English and a couple of guys in the UK and some in Germany. I'm like, this is like crazy. Like people actually like watch me and are coming to shows to see me. <laughs> so I like, I see the future for me, hopefully next year when we're back on the stage, I just want to be able to have a healthy combination of both. Yeah, that makes sense. Just diversifying, I think that's been... That's kind of been the theme for for almost everyone in this industry right now is diversifying and and all that. Um, have you felt like um, have you talked to a lot of uh, other gear company owners and kind of uh, what's been sort of the the common theme of how everyone's been been sort of handling this? You mentioned talking with um, John Sir and I know you're close with uh, Kevin from Iconic Guitars and kind of what's been their their approach as they as they handle this too. From what I've seen so far, man, it's just the same adapting and overcoming. It's got to be, I don't think that there's one set answer, you know, it's just, I feel like everybody's going to have a different strategy. Like your strategy is probably going to be totally different than 
than theirs, but it just comes down to keep making products that people love and hope that they post about it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> and hope the I social mean, media that, lets you lets the other people see their posts that Dude, they, I feel I've been <laughs> shadow banned on Instagram. I am so I have no clue what the frig is going on with Instagram. Yeah. I, it's, it's that's what's driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a this interesting circle where it's like you you get frustrated to pay for ads so people who like your content can see your content and they won't like your content unless they actually like it nowadays. So they yeah. want to see it, but they can't see it and it's limited and then you have to keep paying them, you know, paying them ads and and it's an interesting game cuz a lot of times when when Instagram blew up and and everything people really, you know, took off and and that was kind of for us too. We took, sort of took off in that that era and but then it was like it's not it's not what it was before. It's not, you know, you can't used to post I used to post just me sitting down playing a couple of licks on a guitar and we'd sell, you know, a handful of sets like instantly. And then and then now I'll post something and it'll get like three likes on a video or something like that. You know? No, I'm I feel exactly the same. I I I was going through my feed the other day, like going through my older stuff and like three years ago, I was getting like 800 likes, 1500 likes, 2500 likes, like on a consistent basis. And I'm looking at my stuff now and I'm like, I can't even get a hundred likes on the similar content. Like I have no idea what is going on with this, but it's the (laughs) most frustrating thing, especially as a guitar player who's trying to, you know, market himself to companies like yourself and say, Hey, I think I'd be a great fit for your company. Go check out my social media following. And you see, I have 10,000 followers and I'm getting 85 likes on something. That's like, that's not going to help you. Yeah. You're going to like, everyone's going to look at that and be like, what's the deal. But I, yeah, it's been an interesting thing. I mean, I, I, uh, I look at it and there's, you know, obviously there's talk of algorithms and all sorts of stuff and, and what isn't, isn't shown and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I can't keep up with all of those changes. And I've got people that help me with some of that stuff, but it's also like, man, I just, I just want to, you know, I like some of the stuff with the NAM show where it's like, you're here and I'm here. Let's talk about guitars. And there's no, there's no Facebook filter that's going to prevent you from seeing my stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, and that's got to be, you know, that's got to be the hard part about being independent because you you need eyeballs on those live streams. You need people to to buy merch or buy albums, right? Because that's yeah. that's what you're doing for revenue right now. And yep. you got to, you know, sometimes maybe on the YouTube side of thing, right? You got to play the tricks to, you know, make one of those goofy looking like, you know, video profile photos to get people to watch your video <laughs> like oh, titles and thumbnails. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I for- actually helped, I actually helped Rhett Scholl with his Helix when he first got it. And he gave me the same advice that I just said. He's like, it's all about titles and thumbnails. He's like, that's literally it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you got, you got what they, I mean, they search for Helix or something on YouTube and then you've got whatever, you know, if you're in the top 10 or whatever, then you still got to get them to actually click through and, and watch the video and that kind of stuff. And, and then hold their attention. Right, right. Yeah, so what kind of advice would you give, as you've kind of dove into the YouTube thing as we close up this podcast, but what kind of advice would you give those who are looking at doing a channel? I'm, I'm finding more and more people that are really just like, man, I should do a channel, I should do a channel, and kind of what would you say to those people? Do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, I'm very short and sweet with my advice, but do it because... I always wanted to do YouTube and I always wanted to make videos. And if you look at my channel, there's some very poorly done ones from like 2014, but I did like three videos and then I stopped. Um, part of it is being consistent and just enjoying it. Like don't do it to try to get a hundred thousand subscribers, do it because it's fun, you know, until you can make it a job, then hopefully if you get to that point, but the biggest thing is do it because there's so many people that are like, oh man, I'd love to do that one day. Well, do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have Tom Boot, you watch Tom Bukovac's channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't as a guitar player right now? The guy sits there, puts his cell phone on, and talks about music and guitar. And he's exploded. Like that's that's what you do. Like that's he's just doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's not yeah. there's nothing, there's no special rhyme or reason or sauce aside from being 
the most ridiculous guitar player, but there's no reason that anyone can't take their cell phone, hit record, and talk about something that people might like. Yeah, definitely. So my advice is to just do it and do it consistently and just do it. That's it. Do it. Perfect. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's almost like a direct crossover to people who ask like, hey, how'd you get into making guitars or making pickups? And like, well, I just kept going and I kept going. You just did it. (laughs) Didn't really want to do anything else. So when it got really hard, I kept going and I kept going. And still to this day, that's, that's really the thing that's helped us to, to, to become a business, you know, and, and the same thing that helps you guys be able to survive as, you know, it's not easy being an independent artist. It's, it's a lot of work. Like you said, it's grinding and grinding and grinding. Um, but it's a tip of the iceberg business. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, thanks man for being on the show today. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's good to catch up. And I think, um, you know, for those who are listening, we'll put some links to, to the band and to, uh, your YouTube channel as well. Um, any other places that people kind of can find your content um, online other than that we'll, we'll have the YouTube and the, the band link in there. If Instagram will actually show you my profile, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram at Stalach, S-T-A-L-A-C-H. Perfect. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. Enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch up again soon. But check out some of his videos if you're interested in that Helix stuff. Really uh, breaks it down and kind of goes through a lot of different tones that you can chase on that and, and even specific to styles and kind of setting up scenes and all sorts of stuff. It's really good content for those who are, are Helix users. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show again today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Take care.